0: boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a sex and relationships advice columnist for Vogue.com, the author of the new book, Slut Ever, Dispatches from an Autonomous Woman in a post chain World, and most importantly for the purposes of our conversation today, the producer and host of the new Viceland series Slut Ever, Hello and welcome, Carly Shirtino.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Am I saying your name correctly?
1: Yes, the first one ever.
0: <laughs> See, I got a little cocky there because usually I would try to for, I would either ask the guest or I would sneakily ask somebody to ask somebody. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, no, I I'm from I'm from New Jersey.
1: <laughs> yes. I can exactly. do this.
0: Finally, being from Jersey's paying off or something.
1: I've spent a lot of time at the Jersey Shore.
0: Have you? Mm-hmm. What's your town?
1: Well, I grew up in upstate New York, but we went to Long Beach Island every year. LBI, gotcha. from as far back as I can remember. Oh, you're fancy people.
0: Yes. we went to Point Pleasant.
1: <laughs> is that even less fancy? Like, I just like Long Beach Island to me is fried shrimp.
0: I think that's the whole. That's the whole thing. That's okay. the whole coast.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, first of all, I I really I I love I, I really enjoyed the show. I watched a couple episodes, and I really loved the style of the show. The the openings kind of remind me of like a, like the kind of feel like the movie Heather's.
1: Oh my God. I love that reference. I mean, Heather's is iconic for me when I was a teenager.
0: The new TV show looks like a piece of shit.
1: I don't know. I want to see it. I love it because it looks like it was a hugely calling out call out culture, but now we won't be able to see it for a while because it's been postponed. I think has it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's always a good sign. So I like, here's the thing. I feel like you tow a really important line with your show. And I can't imagine this is an accident. A lot of times I feel like shows that are about sex almost unconsciously or subconsciously go out of their way to be like not sexy at all so that they're not it's not feeling like salacious or exploitative or whatever. I'm thinking of like the HBO real sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's the other way you could go where it's just like super sexy and it's supposed to be this big turn on and then it's hard to take something like that totally seriously. I feel like like a show about sex ought to feel like it's about sex. It ought to feel somewhat sexy. And I feel like your show is really right in the middle of that. And that the the opening of the show kind of sets that tone.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. What we were really going for was comedy, sexy, but also vulnerable. You know, I think that It's hard to strike a balance of being sexy and funny, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not trying to like, I'm not saying that we entirely succeeded, but it's not, those are not two things that go together that often. But I think that especially when talking about sex in a really open way, a hugely helpful way in is comedy because it just makes it so much less awkward because it's going to be awkward talking about sex no matter what. Yeah. So if you can laugh about it, I think it seems way more approachable.
0: Yeah, if you're going to have a guy who looks like Rand Paul have, like, a, a vagina puppet, you're going to want to disarm people with a little humor up front.
1: I know. I was uh, jerked off by a guy who looks creepily like Rand Paul. Oh, you, like, you,
0: th- you got that as well?
1: Yeah, well, there was uh, a huge Twitter response <laughs> okay. after the show aired where everyone was responding to the episode saying, like, now we know what Rand Paul's doing. He's jerking off women in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah,
0: maybe that's why his neighbor beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's start with the basics before we get into the show more specifically. Uh, would you say that everybody is kinkier than they realize? Or do you think everybody is a little bit kinky?
1: I don't know if I would say everybody because it just seems like... M- I don't know, mm-hmm. but I do think that um when we feel comfortable and when we feel safe in order to explore our sexuality, that I mean I can even ex- speak from experience that we can push our boundaries in ways that we didn't didn't imagine we would want to or enjoy, you know? I think it's about oh, feeling int- safe with a partner.
0: That's interesting. So you feel, because I tend to think of it as being, uh, you know, I've always been kind of curious about, or one time I caught a little bit of a video in a jerk-off booth, and I, well, I mean, you know, depending on how you roll. And, <laughs> oh, I guess I could be into that. Um, you're saying that there could be something that doesn't, like, on its face appeal to you, that you could try it out and then go, oh, wow, that actually really works for me in a way that I wouldn't have guessed.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't think that everyone secretly is having vanilla sex but wants to be like go deep into a dungeon and be beaten up by a stranger in latex. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that we experience sexual repression in ways that we don't understand. Like what? I just think that like we aren't taught about the pleasures of, of, fringe sexuality Mm -hmm. like the sex that we're taught is just so basic right the sex that we see in movies is so basic and then the sex we see in porn i guess is extreme to a degree that it maybe seems unrelatable
0: it bears very little relation to how sex is ever going to go down you'll hear a guy or even a girl from time to time be like i mean blah, blah 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 craziest night ever it was porno sex right the implication is that nobody lives there nobody in their right mind
1: yeah and i don't think i'm I'm actually very pro-porn and I do think that the extreme nature of porn, it can be good sometimes because it just like teaches you what's on the menu to a degree. You're (laughs) like, all right, like maybe. Yeah. It's um, like taking
0: a stroll through Chinatown. Right. You didn't even know the parts of the animal you could eat.
1: (laughs) But then, (laughs) disgusting (laughs) analogy, but I like it. Um, But I just feel like I wasn't, it wasn't until recently in my life that I sort of realized like you can have extreme sex, you can have kinky sex, you can have... Um, sort of deviant sex, quote-unquote, that also is emotional, that feels connected to somebody that involves love, you know, like, that was something which I think my eyes were open to only later in my life.
0: Okay, that's interesting, because that's something I wanted to ask you about, I only thought of it a couple minutes ago, frankly, is I- I've seen enough stuff, you know, of, you know, exploring BDSM, what have you, alternative sexual lifestyles, and it it just occurred to me that... I don't want to sound like corny, but I do feel I do still feel like there's a relationship between like my romantic needs and my sexual needs. And whenever they talk about, you know, explaining why people have these sexual needs and the ways they choose to meet them, it never gets into how they're meeting their core emotional needs. And you're saying that you feel like that's totally possible. I guess the but what, what, pain puppy, he seemed emotionally satisfied.
1: Yes. So there's an episode about the show, which is about lifestyle slaves. And what that means is it's a term for a relationship within the BDSM community, which takes the dom sub relationship to an extreme where the submissive is in service to a dom sort of in a 24 seven way. So I think that most people now that like BDSM has gone sort of mainstream, we understand what a dom sub relationship is. But this is that sort of like plus an emotional element. So... There was a dominatrix, and she had a submissive named Pain Puppy, and he would like clean her house, do her chores. Um, sort of like give her emotional support to a degree, feed her animals, anything she wants to do, like groceries. And in exchange, she would, she was a sadist, and she would whip him, and he was a masochist, so he would take the pain, and they had a sort of power, pain exchange relationship. But on top of that, she also was sort of a mother figure, right? So she controlled his whole life. She gave him a, an exercise regimen. She made him go to wine tasting classes. She made him take Japanese lessons. You know what I mean? Like He's a
0: very well-rounded slave.
1: Right. He's very, and lost <laughs> a lot of weight. He's also in chastity so he has a chastity belt on his penis yeah the time, I, so have, I have questions about anymore. that too but go ahead um so i mean that yeah i mean that is an extreme example of a relationship having sort of like bdsm sexual components and also like a very deep emotional component does he have a full-time job he uh he did have a job. So, yeah, he would go to work, but she has a job, too. She's, like, a full-time dominatrix. So it's not like they were together 24-7. They both live their lives.
0: I see. So, like, from 9 to 5, she's just, like, texting him, fuck you, by, by OJ on the way home.
1: Yes, or something. <laughs> but I also love you.
0: Like, Right, 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 right. No, I, that takes all forms. I know, um, uh, I personally, at least one girl who gets Bitcoin from guys just because they like her texting them, being like, fuck you, give me Bitcoin.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. I mean the the whole sort of like online dominatrix scene has boomed hugely and the humiliatrix. There was a woman on an episode of Reply All the other day, which is a podcast I really like, and she was a she dumb she she was a dominatrix who specifically dominated people's tech. So it was like they wanted her to like dom their laptops and hack their phones and you know, take mm-hmm. over their email accounts. And it's like a new form of domination where you just, it's like vir- totally virtual where you don't have to experience f- like IRL contact with someone. That was sort of a tangent, but I just... <laughs> yeah, it's out there. It's interesting.
0: So when in your life did you realize that you were into like more than just what's on the Denny's menu of sex?
1: Um, You know, it's not... I don't even think that I realized I was into more than what was on the menu. I think I just realized that I was really hungry, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the worst. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't kinky, and I still don't even know if I consider myself fully kinky, but starting when I was in high school, I was really interested in sex because it was presented to me when I was little as something that was totally off limits. I grew up, you know, cliche in a really conservative Catholic family, mm-hmm. and I was told not to have sex until I was married, and my you know, I had them the sort of model of that. My parents met in high school when they were 16. They've sort of only ever been with each other. And um, and so when something is off limits, it becomes so much more, like, interesting. Yeah, you well, what joke's
0: I, on them. Look at you now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like such a cliche, though, the slutty Catholic girl. There's this quote that I love from Camille Paglia, who's this controversial feminist that mm-hmm. I love from the 80s. And she was writing about Madonna in the 90s. And she was one of the first people to call Madonna a feminist. And... She had this quote that was something along the lines of, like, Madonna had a keen Catholic girl sense of transgression because subversion needs limits to violate.
0: That's a lot of words.
1: Which, yeah, essentially means, like, in order to subvert something, you need a limit. Like, if you're constantly being told no, like, the boundary, you know, you need boundaries in order to break boundaries. Um And they were both Catholic girls, so I sort of relate to them.
0: I have, and this is a really awkward thing I'm about to do, I have a six-year-old son. So all we ever hear about is, well, you know, the way that we're raised and the messages we give our children. Well, okay. I'm obviously not (laughs) going to have a frank conversation about anything with him anytime soon. But, like, what am I supposed to do differently? Kids don't want to talk about sex with their parents. I'm not going to... I'm fairly confident in saying that I'm not going to make him feel ashamed of his body or ashamed of the things he wants to do sexually. But beyond that, I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, there's a lot more to life than just missionary.
1: <laughs> no, and I don't think you have to do that, but I think the absence of shame is hugely gotcha. important, right? I mean, I think that some com- people might completely argue against my um, assessment of this, but, like, I think that I made it out of there for the best. I think that, like, the... um the alternative, you know, growing up in a in an environment where there's a huge amount of shame and repression around sex is that, like, that, yeah, that you can't, you have like a huge more obstacle against like, um, accessing the sex life that you want. You know, you feel guilt and shame around your sexual desires, and then you don't have an, an enjoyable sex life. Whereas, like, I almost feel like fueling provocation is the better alternative to shame than.
0: So wait, how I am I supposed to fuel provocation in my 6-year-old son? I just mean like
1: <laughs> I just mean I think that the better way to do it is just to make them feel like they are allowed to like and try whatever they want and that that they're not going to be in trouble for that or that there's not going to be like huge repercussions for that, but also about You know, respect and consent and all the obligatory
0: things. Gotcha. 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 I think I'm already I think I might already be doing that. I'm going to further this conversation about my six year old son's sexuality. (laughs) So I am like the I've said before, I feel like I must have some ginormous kink inside of me. That's just so huge and twisted that I've pressed it down where I can't even see it because otherwise I'm just the most kinkless person in the entire world. Um, but I got really into, uh, in my 20s, reading Dan Savage. Mm-hmm. And is he still cool, or am I old for liking Dan no, Savage? No, I love
1: Dan Savage. Okay.
0: And I remember there was a thing in there that stuck with me where uh, they basically said, I'll spare you the, how they arrived at this point, but, like, if a kid wants to play with themselves... Just go. Hey, you can do that in the bathroom. You can do that in your room. That's the appropriate place to do that. We don't do that, you know, at a Yankee game. Mm-hmm. And I've already—that's already come up a couple of times. And then it's funny because then your kid goes, hmm, "Okay, bathroom bed. Well, if I'm in my the bedroom, here's what's the advantage of that." Then they end up back because you've made it so shame free that they actually want to talk through their their uh, options. Right for underage, I've gone too far. No, uh,
1: but that's so interesting. I, mean, I don't have a kid, and mm-hmm. I don't know that much about bringing up kids. But it does seem to me like a huge issue. You must have to talk about with, that with your partner all the time. Like, how do we want to present this massive thing to them?
0: Uh, no. D- to be honest with you, I don't think we've had that conversation. But like, my wife is is super cool and not uptight, and I don't think I'm probably the more uptight of the two of us. And I'm, you know, I'm having this conversation with you right now, so I can't be that bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Every once time my friend was like. Like, sluts make the best moms because they just don't, like, you know, place all this sexual guilt and repression on their kid. They mm-hmm. just, like, have a sort of laissez-faire attitude towards sex and that that's contagious. And I was like, thank you. I took it as a compliment. I don't think it was
0: aimed at me. but So, you see, slut is pretty much your brand.
1: <laughs> yes. At this point. <laughs> exactly.
0: Right. And so, like, how slutty are you?
1: Well, in my book... I I just wrote a book called Slut Ever, and it's really aimed at redefining the idea of what the slut is. And I define it as a person who seeks out visceral experiences through sex, who sees sex as like positive and additive
0: to their life, and visceral's in your guts.
1: Yeah, just right. like seeks out like interesting, you know, see is curious about sex, like and is adventurous, you know. And really, the point being that there is no moral obstacle between their desire to like have the sex life that they want. So I don't think it's necessarily about having a high like body count so to speak. It's not about like needing to fuck everyone in the room, but it's about not having guilt and shame around the sex life that you want and going out and trying to attain it. Um that said, I probably do uh fall into the sort of traditional sense of like s- slutty and that like I've be- had a promiscuous life, but I don't mm-hmm. think that it is, I mean, slut is obviously a pejorative and it has historically been a pejorative. And I think that like we can reclaim that with like while keeping some of the sort of like seedy, um, unpredictable, yeah. transgressive elements. Yeah, of, you like, don't want to lose world. all that. Yeah, you want to keep the transgression, but like make it something that people aren't ashamed of. And I just want it to be like if a teenage girl is called a slut that she had this, like this alternative narrative in her head of what that could mean and how that could actually be like a fun, sexy, transgressive, positive thing.
0: Yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um. And uh. Okay. So, so you, the book is called Dispatch Slut Ever Dispatches from an Autonomous Woman in a Post Shame World. And to be honest with you, when I I read that title before I watched your TV show, and I was expecting something um a little bit more like shrill. Is that is that title a little bit tongue in cheek to you? At all, or do you mean it exactly the way that it sounds? Because it sounds kind of angry for Does to be talking about ag- sex.
1: Yeah the 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 subtitle was a real hard one because I just feel like you I got went- to hit a
0: lot of a lot of points in...
1: Yeah, it's like the word slut-ever is off-putting to a ton of people, and it seems like a joke, and it is a joke, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's tongue-in-cheek. So I wanted the subtitle to just represent, like, okay, the, you know, like, slut-ever, this is going to be crass, it's going to be, like, sexy, it's going to be funny. But then the subtitle, basically, the underlying meaning is, but there's also some actual ideas in here about shame and sexuality and, like, women's place in the world in terms of sex right now. Um, don't know if it was the perfect, if I really nailed it. But maybe on the reprint we'll change it.
0: <laughs> no, I think I think it's fine. Do you think that we are we're not really living in a post shame world? Nor likely will we ever really truly.
1: No, I don't think we ever will. But the um the post shame world really I meant it in terms of like I think the book sort of lives in that world. It's like. The book really is a—I've been calling it a combination of a slut manifesto and a personal memoir—and it really chronicles my journey, sort of, to overcome the shame that I had around sexuality from when I was young. Mm-hmm. And it's about reclaiming the idea of the slut. And it—and t- in the book, it sort of like follows the course, um, the narrative of my sexual history, and it tells a lot of the stories of what I like to think of as like my slutty heroines and these women who, to me, represent. um Women who have just like passed the idea of sexual shame, like
0: primary. Who, who are some examples?
1: Um. So, uh, major stories in the book are me meeting this dominatrix who I worked for, and she really inspired me to start writing about sexuality. I worked for a dom in New York, um, starting when I was twenty-four, and I was blogging, and that's when my my writing really focused in on the psychology around sexuality. And then after her, um, one of my I met a woman named Madeline and she became one of my close friends and she was working as an escort in New York. And she introduced me into the world of sex workers in New York. And I started um, uh, working as a sex worker uh, after her great guidance. And it was, um, and she to me was someone who I just felt like epitomized this person where it's like, you are the taboo. Like you in society's mind, like you are like the victim. You were like this shamed woman and she was just like so effervescent and she like loved her job and she like to me this was like the perverted american dream in this amazing way and so she's well, another the american dream that.
0: that you're free to do whatever you want and if you can pull it off and you're not hurting anybody then you get to do that yeah and that's... making
1: money and like having designer bag you know? right
0: right right so you <laughs> you did sex work
1: yeah i did sex work in the sense that um well, being a dominatrix is considered sex work, too, but it's sort of like like the less gross kind in society's mind. Yeah. And then I worked as a sugar baby. So What's that? So a sugar baby is... So I think people are increasingly familiar with what a sugar daddy website is. Are mm-hmm. you? Yes. So it's a website where it... It's sort of a, it's basically a dating website where it links sugar daddies, aka sort of rich, primarily older men, with young women looking to form a relationship with those types of men. Um, that involves a financial component. Right. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like escorting, dressed up in you know to be acceptable in our sort of modern society. It's more like pretty woman style. Yeah. Yes. Except like actually, it's more. Like a pseudo relationship. So the idea, the way the site is framed is that you are paid an allowance, or like a monthly allowance, or, or that you're just like helped out financially in exchange for companionship. So like an ongoing relationship. So the, the way that it's differentiated from straight up escorting is that it's not um, you pay me this amount of money per hour. For my services. It's kind of like, okay, so you're helping me out. You're helping me pay my rent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're pretending to date. This is
0: like a rent boy thing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Only straight.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, so you dabbled in that. Um, I hate to get into pop psychology with somebody that I just met, but you, you made <laughs> me think of something uh Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, yeah, right was like the most alternative lady who ever lived she nobody was more alternative or whatever in the nineties than Sonic Youth, and I read a thing with her recently where she was like I was from the suburban small town, and I always thought everybody was going to find me out that yeah. i ever and I th- I believed her, and she was like. I just knew that I was just this, she didn't say basic bitch, but I knew that that's what I was and I was playing dress up and I always thought everybody could see through it. And I'm like, God, you of all people. And then like, I think pretty much everybody who epitomizes one thing, I feel like they secretly are maybe the exact opposite thing. DMX was on TV crying that he never got to call his mother mama. He had to use her first name and DMX is the toughest dude in the world. Well, what makes you not just a little tough? What makes you super tough? Because you have to protect The secret that you know you're not the thing that you're presenting to the world and that makes you play it up. Do you think there's any chance that deep down inside you're not a slut? That
1: is so funny you say that because, (laughs) yeah, I'm I mean, I am basic to the core, I think, in certain ways. Like, I've always sort of felt like my identity is just like the narrator Like, I'm, like, the basic girl who, like, gets thrown into these strange worlds, who's kind of, like, chronicling it, but, like, never really fits in. And it's kind of, like, where am I? It's like Alice in Wonderland. I I feel like that. But I feel like sort of everyone feels like that. Like, who is at their heart, like, the true deviant, the true outsider? Like, and I felt like that since I was young. Like, I moved to London at 18, and I moved into this squatted commune of, like, drifters and addicts and... Um, artists who weren't making any art and I was just like this girl from like a small town in upstate New York and I remember at one point this guy that I lived with a sort of like junkie non-artist was like you're like the girl you're like a girl who got on a bus one day and just like realized that you were on the wrong bus and just like ended up in chaos and just like never went home you know what I mean just like the normal girl who got lost and I just feel like That is how I've always, and it's great. It's a great perspective to have as a writer because it's just sort of like the semi neutral party writing about your experiences from the inside. You know what I mean? Like the mole.
0: Right, right. Well, and it makes, it's a perfect perspective to be hosting a show like Slut Ever, which uh, airs, where did I lose my conversation? When Your Wednesdays. Right? Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on um, Viceland. Not easy to find that sort of information on their website, by the way. I'm sure. <laughs> it's a little too cool to give specific days and, yeah. and times.
1: It's a, it's mysterious. There's a lot of
0: mystery around that channel. <laughs> so there actually is. God, they have a lot of shows. Holy fuck, I didn't realize
1: yeah, I think around twenty five or something.
0: It was more than I thought that they that they had. So right, so you you kind of are too far from where you grew up to existent. You can never go home again you know metaphorically speaking but you don't totally belong in like the crazy deviant and i'm not using it in a pejorative way but you know mm-hmm. what i mean sex world which makes you the right person to host the show which was the segue i was attempting a minute or two ago <laughs> so <laughs> right let's talk about a couple of the episodes i watched a couple of them that was very romantic when you beat up that old man
1: thank you yeah that was actually a bizarrely sweet moment his it seemed name is like sadly
0: it. yeah i didn't think you were gonna pick him
1: yeah, so it's in the episode I was talking about before about um, lifestyle slaves. In the end, the show sort of follows a format where I dive into a world head headfirst, um, sort of, we in- investigate it from the inside. And then at the end, I kind of like try it out. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of try to like insert myself into the action. So in this episode, which is about lifestyle slave, we fall around a dom and her lifestyle slave for a few days and then at the end I'm like, Okay, I wanna try and try this thing out for a ride. So I audition slaves to be my lifestyle slave and we surprisingly had a handful of men come and <laughs> I gave them my my itinerary. I was like, okay, so like I want, you know, someone who's gonna be great at being my human bench. I like I want someone who's gonna like change my tampons. It was very and, important to you to yeah, have
0: someone to sit on. I caught that. Yes,
1: exactly. To clean my apartment. A lot of guys showed up and were like sort of like begging for the position. And I ended up choosing this old guy named Sadly. Um, because he just seemed so devoted to the idea of like servitude you know what i mean and he it was a
0: core part of his identity clearly
1: totally and he seemed really thankful for the women who had sort of like brought this quality out in him and made him feel like it was okay to express this publicly and so he was my lifestyle slave for a day or two
0: (laughs) are you guys still in touch
1: we talk sometimes (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah paint puppy seemed like a sweetheart he was really sweet um he was the primary lifestyle slave in the episode that we followed around. And he just like he is the perfect example of someone who through BDSM has really transformed their life and become a like a hugely more confident person and like really found his community. Something I think that people don't understand about the BDSM community, which I learned from, you know, my experiences in it over years, is that it's one of the most accepting communities that there are. Like if you go to a, a kink party, just here's a random example, like I never see people in wheelchairs or like disabled people out in clubs or parties that much. And kink parties are full of people um, with disability. They're full of like people, older people Mm -hmm. like all ages, all races, um, all sort of like body shapes. And I think that that is like something that's overlooked. Just how accepting people are of like all people from all walks of life. And I think a lot of people who don't feel accepted
0: in other communities find really find themselves there. Do you think it's just as simple as a community of people who have lived with something that was probably a shameful secret for a while are so used to the awful feeling of being ex- feeling excluded or potentially excluded that they don't have it in their hearts to exclude other people?
1: that might be true yeah like it's kind of like outsiders band together type yeah. of thing I also think that King and Media Sam is um, a tool for connecting with people in a, in an intimate way so maybe if people have felt alienated over their life and they think like over the course of their life and they think like oh this is kind of um, like a tool for that it's it is it is a tool for connection and it feels like there's something there's like a tangible way that they can connect to other people
0: felt like Pain Puppy didn't really care for the other lifestyle slave <laughs>
1: Yeah, Shine. He was sort of like the more experienced lifestyle slave. I think that they had like a complicated relationship because they both compete for the time of their dominatrix. So, you know, they both want to be like the top slave. And I don't and I don't think they they both can't be. So it's like I think that there's like, a yeah, an, an inherent competition in that type of dynamic. And so let's talk about this chastity device. Did you see it? I didn't see it, but I have seen many chastity devices over the course of my life, unfortunately. What do you mean? Um, So when I worked for this dom, she was big into putting guys in chastity. And what that means is, um, I don't know how common knowledge this is for your audience, but it's a device that goes over the penis. It's sort of like a cage and it prevents you from being able to get an erection. And when you... You know, obviously your body naturally attempts to get an erection sometimes. It actually is painful because your dick can't, you know, expand and
0: rise. It's just containing it. So that would have a Pavlovian effect at a certain point that your body would kind of want to stop. Or maybe it wouldn't. I don't really know. But also... Either way it's bad.
1: Either way it's bad. (laughs) And I think that... Also, if you're in a chastity belt, there's like a part of you that likes pain, right? right? Um, and often the way those work is that there is one key and it's owned by your dom. So mm-hmm. you can't get yourself out of it. And that um, many men like the idea of being in chastity because they like being controlled. And it's obviously a like a huge form of submission and a gift to their dominant. So he was in chastity and, and um, he had been for months. How did he pee? I think you can you can pee with it.
0: Okay, yeah. So it's more like a barbed wire fence.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, isn't that, that funny? It's just like the human mind is so interesting.
0: It really, it really is because you know we're led to believe that like everything that we do fundamentally has some sort of core, straightforward biological function. That everything that's inside of us is there because it helps us perpetuate the species, and yet, no. Nah. and yet no right because I I think that I am you know maybe this is a taboo thing to say in your world maybe I'm completely out of my mind I think that there are some people who end up with kinks because they um, went through some hard knocks along the way and it helped form the kinky person that they are so it's they didn't necessarily start off that way they were life unfortunately kind of made them that way but a there are plenty of people who get a bunch of therapy and work out the bad baggage and still have the kink left over and there's certainly people who didn't get they're not like Bane and Batman sexually. You know, they they weren't forged in victimhood. They're just like having their dick in barbed wire.
1: Totally. And I think that I guess that you could say that that is something that people don't love to hear, right? That like kinks stem from trauma, but I think that we understand that that is often the case, but that often for people BDSM is hugely a form of therapy. So we understand that um BDSM is a way for people to reenact trauma in a in a in an environment where they can control the outcome. So if you are abused as a child, being, you know, abused by a DOM in a way that you ask for, in a way that you control, and then in a way that you can then extricate yourself from safely, yeah. it feels like, yeah, it's just literally about reliving something in a controlled environment. And it can act hugely as a form of therapy for people. So even so if we sort of understand that having a kink is not inherently bad, then if that works for you, and if that's like a more intense form of therapy for you than talk therapy for someone else, then I think that that's a success,
0: you know? Yeah. I wonder how far this stuff can go in permeating and penetrating the the mainstream, because I think probably we're getting a little better all the time. I mean, people didn't. Okay. I'm fond of pointing out that I think Dean Martin was considered kinky in in his time because he his kink was blowjobs. He really loved blowjobs. And I don't think there were a ton of people requesting or receiving blowjobs at that time. So we've come a long way. We're all kinkier than the Rat Pack. I hope so. You know, <laughs> like... That having that having <laughs> been said, you know, which is great cuz those guys thought that they were, you know, insane, you know. That having been said, I I watch your your show and things that are you know, from a similar world and I lived in Brooklyn, I lived in Manhattan, I live in Los Angeles now. I lived in Silver Lake. It kind of seems like there's a certain like artist types are always ahead of the culture ahead of the zeitgeist and then what they're thinking about very often in a watered down fashion kind of arrives to the mainstream people go, oh you know what would be a great idea this thing that the artistic you know free thinkers had 15 years ago and i think sex is kind of working in the same way as there's the the sexual pioneers and then a lot of that stuff goes mainstream in a watered down fashion uh, 650 shades of of gray and what have you but watching your show i'm thinking yeah, but there's still artist squatters living in Williamsburg whose culture will never really intersect with mainstream America and that's maybe what these people are. Is, this is never going to be mainstream. They they are outsiders.
1: Yeah, to a degree, I think that I mean, I think that the culture maybe we keep opening you know, expanding in terms of what's on the sexual menu because transgression is attractive to people. So I think that, like, we will always push boundaries because as society becomes more accepting, we have to find new ways to break boundaries and be taboo and be at the forefront of sort of, like, sexual
0: adventure. There's that Camille Ponglia thing again. Yes, exactly.
1: Right. But um, I think that really the point of the show is for me, and I and I co-created the show with um, the girl who directs it, Adrienne mergia when we sat down to sort of like plan what the show was. It was like, okay, it's about humanizing people. So a lot of the topics that we cover in the show, people would be familiar with, right? So it's like whether it's sex workers, like cam girls, or whether it's um, sort of BDSM or sex robots or things like that, like people are familiar with them. But then we're like, okay, so let's find the positive human stories within these worlds and show our audience, the ways in which you can actually relate to people who are, who exist within them. Um, So, What I think I'm proud of about the show is that every episode is like really, I think, very sort of like joyful and light. And because so much of the way that sex is represented now in the media to me feels like a giant PSA. It's like, here are the ways that sex can be dangerous. Here's what to avoid. Like here, you know, here's how to look out for predators. Or it's like very sensational where it's like, look at these freaks in this basement. Like we're not like them. Mm -hmm. But um, we were really careful to only choose topics where we were like, let's find topics that we can find joy in and like let's find um you know subjects we can celebrate, so one of my favorite episodes is we did an, an episode about monster fantasies, which okay. which is about um I'm hijacking the interview here, which is about like people who have sexual fantasies about like werewolves and dragons and aliens, and I was like, you know that can't be that many people, just like just like you said, like some of the, some of this will never be mainstream, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty fringe, but as we sort of entered this world, it was like. Finding out that there's like million dollar industry around monster dildos and monster sex toys and that like thousands of people around the world have like alien impregnation fetish and that okay, like wait, I'm,
0: I'm writing this down. Monster <laughs> then, dildo.
1: Monster dildos. There's yeah. so many companies that make monster dildos. <laughs> and um and that there's a multi-million dollar industry of monster erotica and primarily by women and some of like the biggest uh Booksellers on Amazon are women writing erotica that involve like werewolves and stuff,
0: and like yeah, chicks always wanted to <laughs> read romantic novels about vampires.
1: Exactly, exactly. But it's kind of like okay, so on the surface it seems really crazy and something like we can't relate to, and it just seems like you will never be mainstream. But it's like maybe it's more mainstream than we think, and. It was really and it was fun to just find these subjects where it's like these like sweet women in middle America who are like writing these really dirty, nasty, erotic novels about. Like how dirty are we
0: talking about here?
1: Like an alien comes down from space and puts you into a trance and like gang rapes you with all of his friends and you love it type thing.
0: That's wow. That's a classic. <laughs> and it's just like a lady who watches QVC and then whips that up.
1: Yes. And then she's rich because like so many people want to read it. So then she sells it.
0: That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I love, maybe this is, I was raised um, Irish Catholic, and I don't feel like my upbringing was as repressive as many other people seem to be, have been in a, that kind of setting, but I, I love sex positivity. I think I just love life positivity. The older that I get, it's just like, we're all just fucking running around, like, buying coffee, driving cars, going to work <laughs> and stuff, and it's like, if we're not finding some joy in this, then what the fuck are we doing? And sex is, should be up right up there with food and hanging out with friends and drinking and what have you of just joy fun and and I totally get that off of um of your show uh Sled Ever which airs Wednesday nights on Viceland the male escort guy on the happy endings episode he seemed like a happy guy
1: yes i liked him his name was ash mm-hmm. and i noticed
0: that <laughs> great
1: name <laughs> um we did so that was the our first episode and it's about um Essentially, I traveled the United States trying to find a hand job from a man, which is surprisingly hard to find. Checking. Yes. I mean, like a transactional, sort of like paid for one. Because mm-hmm. um, in our research, we found out that in New York, there are more happy ending massage parlors than there are bars, which is crazy. And, um, you know, but these primarily cater to men obviously like women provide the service to men there's so many ways in which men can pay for sexual services from women in the world today but it's harder to find when it's a woman because i mean demand is lower but i mean we were just sort of sort of investigating like but why else and like why don't women want this and do women want it but it's just not
0: available yeah i think it's primarily because nobody would pay to go to one of those
1: well i think what was interesting is we spent the day with this escort ash and he's a male escort he's uh sort of an expensive an expensive guy I think it's like $4,000 for 24 hours with him yeah but um did you get a discount because you had a man bun <laughs> yeah <I'm> just, <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think I got him for free but I mean, he didn't have sex with me so right um, so he, uh, he you seem
0: disappointed that he wasn't falling in love with you
1: I was like do you ever forget that it's a date he was like
0: absolutely not I was like okay um, check please but he because <laughs> I thought he liked you until then I thought you guys had a, a little thing going
1: yeah, I think he definitely, I think he liked me, but I understand from sort of having been a sex worker myself that, yeah, it's like, even if you like the person, you would would not be there if you're not being paid, right? But one of the in- interesting takeaways from that interview was that he has been working for this male escort agency for about five years. And when he started, there was only 20 guys working for the agency. And now they have expanded um Over 300%. So the company is growing. The demand for this is higher. And, you know, I think it's like a combination of women having more financial freedom, like women having more money in order to be able to spend money on something, a service like that, but also just women having sort of more sexual autonomy and not feeling as much like shame and embarrassment around the idea of like paying for a guy. Because I think women were told like we shouldn't have to pay for it. You know what I mean? Like you should just be able to get it. Like guys want sex more than women do you know, apparently. So, like, if you have to pay for it, it means you're desperate or you can't get a boyfriend. There's so much... There's, like, even more stigma around paying for a sex worker for a woman than there is for a man, and it's already so stigmatized as a man.
0: Yeah, uh, well said. Well said. I did have another thought, too, because he was saying... Ash was saying that uh, he has a lot of clients who are, like, successful executive-type women, and it got me thinking of the Aziz Ansari thing where mm. I feel like one of the conventional takeaways from his whole situation was, well, here's a guy who nobody, no girl wanted to talk to when he was young and he was probably this nerdy kind of guy. And now all of a sudden he's attractive to women and really just doesn't know how to behave around adult women. He he, he, he skipped a lot of the steps because he went straight to women want to are throwing themselves at you when, you know, a couple of years ago, women didn't want to talk to you. And I'm wondering if there are... Women executives who and male executives, for sure, who just focused really, really hard on getting an education and working 20 hour days. And now that they can enjoy the the fruits of their success, they're not the savviest daters in the world because they didn't focus on their social life when many other people were.
1: Yeah. I think that there's... It's so complicated because there's so many reasons that Mm -hmm. somebody would pay for sexual services. And, like, one of them might be because they were awkward, they didn't get a lot of sex, and now that they can just pay for it, the idea of, like, having to... Being able to bypass all of that sort of, like, awkward social contract stuff that they don't know how to do, Mm -hmm. then it's so much more appealing. Yeah, you can No risk of rejection. Exactly. But also, while I think that it, it... that that's great in a way that you avoid rejection and that you can have a guaranteed sexual experience which might be extremely valuable for someone who doesn't have access to those experiences otherwise and therefore feels lonely and like sexually frustrated i also think that a transactional sexual experience does not offer you the same things as a loving sexual experience where you have to like work for it a little bit. And then there is like a little bit of like push and pull and there's tension and that makes it more appealing because like we all know that when you have to work for something, it's you enjoy it more. You know what I mean? So the thrill of the chase. Yeah, exactly. So they, they offer different things to people, but I also think that other, there's many other reasons why someone would pay for sex. Um, Agreed. You know, it's because it, of co- convenience, because you simply can, and it's like a different experience that you've never had because you're married and want to cheat in a way that seems like the most respectful way that you can, given the circumstances, which I, a lot of people argue.
0: Or the most discreet. Right, the most it's, discreet. It's, exactly. the, it's at least the least sticky. True.
1: Hopefully. Um, yeah, there's because there's you're really busy. You know what I mean, at that moment in your life but you still want sex and you just don't have a girlfriend, you know mm. what I mean? Whatever it is. Um, because you find casual sex to be because you don't want to lead people on, right? like because you just want to have sex that's casual, but you don't want to you feel weird fucking someone once and then abandoning them unless they're a sex worker. Also a huge reason that people pay sex workers is because they want to ask for something that they don't feel comfortable asking for someone that they that they're dating. Right, so it's like I like is a guy like who wants to be like fucked in the ass. Like, we will get a whore to do that.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> can I say I that keep, on the radio. Right I'll yeah? keep that in right. mind. You can absolutely say that. this is this is a bold new world. One of the premises of that the happy endings episode is I don't know how tongue and cheek you are being with this that there are still so many men, such a high percentage of men, who either can't or won't or, or don't know how to give women orgasms. Do you really find that to be true?
1: I don't think that it's that they. <sighs> I mean, I think that the female orgasm has been sort of like a scary thing to approach for men and for some women for a long time. So part of what we were sort of posing in the episode is like, are there less sexual services available for women, women because there's less demand for it from women? or could it also possibly be because men are scared to offer that service cuz it feels like less of a given that they're going to be able to like accomplish it. Like if you're a woman giving someone a happy ending, a hand job, like if you can't make a guy come from a hand job, that it just like seems unlikely that you wouldn't be able to get him to finish. Like more often than not
0: it will work, right? Depending on how many days he's been on meth, right? Right
1: exactly. <laughs> um whereas a woman if I'm walking in to a massage parlor, and I get a random guy who's going to try and jerk me off. Like, I would be un- not surprised if he couldn't do it. You yeah, know what I mean,
0: particularly if he comes to your house, dresses the unibomber.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Which was my to experience. pick a
0: for example. Oh, um <laughs> I mean, doesn't that ruin it? Because I feel like that is that does tend to be a difference. Oh, like I would prefer to be masturbated to completion by a really hot woman, but like, yes, any woman reasonably skilled. If I haven't been on meth for that long. Oh can probably do the trick. Right. I feel like that would be, for most women that I've ever known, a huge buzzkill to have the Unabomber with some weird, like, disturbed Creed fake tattoo sleeve to come in and be like, now lay down on this bed while I have at you. (laughs) It
1: depends. It's like, it depends what you want maybe the idea of it being just a completely random middle-aged guy is hot for you you know what i mean maybe you like the idea of being objectified if you're going to if you're the type of girl who's going to peg a strange man to jerk you off like it's probably the experience itself that is arousing more than you're looking for like the hottest guy in the world like mm-hmm. cuz it just feels like transgressive and seedy
0: okay and impersonal but all things being equal would you prefer he was like he's like a it was ash instead of the Unabomber? I know you, don't, well, you don't want to be disrespectful to Ash isn't to the Unibomber. really my
1: type I don't really like like giant muscular men with <laughs> ponytails So I maybe would prefer the Unabomber I got you, I got you, I got you I felt like Ash
0: pulled it off for, for what he was Yeah <laughs> um, Okay, a couple quick questions before we're done here hey, Are there any cultures that you dove into Through your show Slut, Ever that you are still actively involved with?
1: Oh Um I don't know like, sort of all and none, I feel like I... <laughs> okay, well, here's one takeaway. We did an episode about sex robots. And um, in it, there was a... There's a porn star named Christina Carter who's, like, big in sort of fembot roleplay porn. She's, like, sort of, like, the the star of that subgenre of pornography. And she is really good at pretending to be a robot and dresses up in robot costumes and she's like great at talking like this and she like learns how to do the the moves and then she can turn herself on and turn off so
0: okay I'm, I'm writing that down right under these monster dildos
1: right and it's about like power play and like so if someone can control you they can turn you on turn you off you're a fembot like they can tell you what to do and so she gave me lessons in how to fembot role play so i learned how to be a fembot and i got this like uh, robot costume and so then I brought the robot costume home and I like showed my boyfriend my new fembot move so now we have dabbled in fembot role play sex it's actually fun
0: it sounds great
1: <laughs> so I actually learned something from my show
0: and I guess you've already told me what episode surprised you the most that would be the mid- midwestern ladies with fantasies of aliens gang raping them
1: yes I was very surprised to learn that there is a lot of people with alien egg impregnation fetish
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised there's that many people. I mean, there's like it would, like 10% of the people think that Hillary was the Republican and Donald Trump was the Democrat. I'm surprised that people know anything nowadays. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> much less something that advanced, much less have gone to the trouble of figuring out they're into it, much less have gone to the trouble of made of making books for my Kindle about it.
1: And sex toys. There's a, a multiple sex toys, sex toys on the market right now where that will improve that will implant alien eggs into your vagina or butt. That I
0: actually knew.
1: (laughs) Oh, you knew about that? (laughs) Yeah. You didn't know what they were for. You thought that they were just useless.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I thought I was having baby dinosaurs. (laughs) 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 And uh, finally, based on the sum total of your work to this point, if there was like one bit of information or... Attitude or knowledge or whatever that you could just magically implant inside like every adult American's mind in regard to sex. What do you wish everybody knew or thought or did?
1: It's a good question. I think for me, like a major component of something that I had to learn over the years is that when we're young women, we're taught that by having sex, men are getting something, whereas women are giving something up. And I think that that imbalance is at the heart of like so much of the narrative around female sexual victimization. I think that if we reminded ourselves that like we're both can get something equal out of sex and that like, if you have a negative sexual experience, you don't lose a part of yourself. You actually just learn something about yourself. I think that we would all approach sex in a way that was so much more sort of curious and additive and resilient. I think that that's something I've learned over the years. It's really valuable.
0: Cool. Well, congratulations on the TV show and the book and and everything, and thanks for coming by and talking to me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The book, Slut Ever, Dispatches from an Autonomous Woman in a Post-Shame World, is available everywhere now. Slut Ever airs Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on Viceland.
1: Thank you.